Good morning. Hear me okay? Good. Well, I'm sure all of you, like me, have had that dreaded sinking feeling as you leave a Shanghai taxi. You subconsciously pat down your pockets, looking for the, uh, looking for your cell phone in your pocket, and make sure it's still safely there. But then as you see the taxi vanishing off into the distance, the reality sinks in. Your cell phone, along with everything it contains, is also hurtling off over the smog-filled horizon. And the hope of ever seeing your phone again is also rapidly disappearing. Losing a cell phone in these days is incredibly debilitating. For they contain so much information and we are so attached to them. When I lost my cell phone on that day, standing at Pudong International Airport, it was hard for me to figure out what to do next. Do I call my, the taxi company? Well, I can't. I don't have a phone. Um, even if I wanted to call Brandy, it would be a challenge, as I don't remember her number anymore. I have to just dial her name to call her. With my smartphone out of reach and out of sight, it's amazing how dumb I felt at that moment. We've all been there. We've all been careless and lost something or left it behind. That's why this world is full of lost and found storage units. And it'd be pretty interesting some of the things that people lose. Did you know that every year in London, over 300,000 items are handed in to the London Transport Lost and Found Office? In fact, every day, every day, 150 cell phones are handed in to the office. And it's not just phones. The office has received a full-size house carpet, a prosthetic leg, a judge's wig, and a horde of musical instruments, including a drum kit. Last year, 22%, just 22% of those 300,000 items were ever reclaimed, including an urn of ashes that had been kept at the office for seven years. The fact that so many items lay collecting dust on the shelves of lost and found offices throughout the world says something of the value and the worth that the owners place to those, on those items. The reality is that there is a direct correlation between the effort that we put into finding something and the value we place upon it. I wonder how much effort you would go to finding a lost cell phone. Would you try to call the taxi company, offer to pay for its return? How much would you be willing to pay? How many hours would you invest in getting it back? What about an engagement ring or a wedding ring that you lost? You take it off to do the dishes and somehow it vanishes. How many hours would you spend turning your house upside down to find your ring? How about a lost dog? A pet dog that has been a constant source of companionship and fun in your family for so many years, one day just vanishes. What would you do? Put up a poster? Offer a reward for its return? How much would you be willing to give for that reward? How many hours or days or weeks would you spend searching? What about if you lost a child? What then? Well, I can tell you, 
If I ever lost one of my sons, I would never rest until he was found. Everything else would come to a standstill. I would happily sell my cell phone, my wedding ring, my dog, anything in order to find my boy. On the day that my son was lost, everything would change the very orientation of my life. My very occupation would be to find him and to bring him home. And I can guarantee you, on the day in which he comes back home, there would be joy unmatched throughout any other event in my life. Jesus in Luke chapter 15 tells three parables of things that were lost and then were found. First he tells the story of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one was lost. And he left the ninety-nine in order to find the one. And once the sheep was returned he told his friends and together they gathered and rejoiced. And then there was a woman who had ten coins. One was lost. She searched high and low to find that coin and when she finds it she calls all her neighbors and her girlfriends together and they celebrate and then a father who had two sons let's join Jesus as he shares this powerful and familiar story Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 32 found on pages 12 and 13 of the bulletin And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was lying to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to celebrate. And his oldest son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. 
And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angered and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. Well, as we consider this familiar story this morning, I want us to see anew the beating heart of our Heavenly Father is for the lost to be found. To make it easier for us to follow and to aid you if you are taking notes, we're going to be treating this story in three acts. So act one, a shameful separation. Act two, a repentant reunion. And act three, a joyful celebration. A shameful separation, a repentant reunion, a joyful celebration. So first, act one, a shameful separation. The younger son is the first to speak in our story. Verse 12 says, records his words, and they tell us a lot about this boy. He says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. This request and the character of this boy can be summed up in two words. Give me. Give me. Give me. Give me what I want and give it to me now. Even worse, he's not simply asking his father for some money or a loan. He is asking for his inheritance. A request tantamount to saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Father, the only thing you mean to me is what you can give me. Your life means nothing to me except the inheritance that is mine. His self-centeredness is dripping off his words. There seems to be no love for the Father except for the gifts of the Father. He does not even give a second thought to the shame that this request will bring upon his Father. Now the Father is clearly a man of great means. Probably a landowner. We know later in the passage that he has fields for the older sons working in the fields. We know he has servants for later he asked the servants to go and prepare the banquet. So the size of the inheritance would have been pretty significant. And it's not like the dad would have just written the boy a check and said, here you go. He would have had to have physically gone around his land and his property and divided it. The livestock, the land, the gold, the silver, all divided and a portion being set aside to give to his rebellious son. The father was not in any way obliged to honor his son's request. 
In fact, he could have done the exact opposite. He would have been totally within his rights, according to Deuteronomy 21, to have had this rebellious and shameful son taken to the city gates and stoned by the elders of the city. So not only does he relent from the punishment that his son deserved, he graciously gives his son an inheritance that he in no way deserved. And what love this father must have had for this boy. What pain this father must have felt as his son, his boy, treated him with such contempt. What agony must have gripped his heart as he watches his boy gather up his newfound wealth and without a word of thanks or an ounce of gratitude, he turns and walks away to a far away country. For the father, losing a third of his property is difficult. Losing his dignity is painful. Losing his son? Well, that's unbearable. The son, however, his mind is in a different place. His heart, so deceived, so twisted, gives not a second thought to the feelings of his father. Instead, he is giddy with excitement as he heads to that far away country. He does so contemplating all the pleasures that lay before him. And not long after he arrives, he gives himself over to those passions. It's amazing. Pleasures like he's never experienced before. They entice him. They seduce him. They captivate him. New friends, new popularity, food, sex, drink, parties, days roll into days, night rolls in to night. He doesn't have time to miss home. For there's so much for him to experience and discover. Each day, bringing new experiences, new thrills, new delights. He must have thought that the party was never going to end. That his stomach would always be full. His amazing friends would always be there. But it could not last forever. That even such a huge inheritance as the one that he received, if not stewarded well, would eventually run dry. And as that day fast approached, he probably saw it coming, but he just chose to ignore it. But soon those storehouses quickly emptied. We see in verse 14, finally the last dollar was spent, and just as he needed that dollar, the most a severe famine gripped the land. And probably, for the first time in his life, he experienced real hunger. Having walked away from a family who loved him, and having been deserted by friends who were simply using him, for the first time in his life he experienced real loneliness. And it says, he began to be in need. His cherished inheritance was now a collection of fading memories and a trail of tears. His desperation being so great they had no other choice but to hire himself out to one of the citizens of that country and even worse, being sent to feed pigs. 
on the most degrading job a Jew could imagine. Oh, how far this boy had fallen. The inheritance that he thought would buy his freedom had, in fact, enslaved him. Verse 16 says, And he was longing to be fed with the pots that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He had only lost a family who loved him, a future that promised so much potential, a youth that he would never get back. Friends who had abandoned him, dignity, freedom, but it's clear he had lost himself. He was lost. You know, the greatest tragedy of all is, it didn't have to be this way. His father loved him. He did not have to run away. The inheritance that he received was his. But he did not have to take it when he did and in the way in which he did. His problem was that he wanted a good gift. But he was not willing to wait. He wanted an inheritance that was rightly his, but he was not willing to wait for it. If he had waited, his inheritance, he would have still have received his full inheritance. And he would have been able to look back on a youth and an adulthood of loving, uninterrupted union with his good father. But now instead, he's lying in a pigsty, hungry, alone, enslaved, naked, and ashamed. If only we would learn to wait. You see, there are good things that God, our good and loving Father, has promised us, but all too often we do not wait for them. Instead, we choose to take them now in our time and in our way, no matter the pain or hurt we will cause to get it. We are bombarded with lies about how we are entitled to our best life now, peddled by prosperity preachers, and all they are doing is leading us on paths of destruction to far away countries. The lie that says you should listen to the physical desires of your body, that if you don't, you are somehow missing out. Single man and single woman. Young people, your bodies are sometimes waging war against you. The enemy is lying to you when he says that you don't need to wait for marriage. Sex is a good and God-given desire, but it has to be done in God's way and in God's time. Otherwise, we will bring shame upon our Father, and we will bring much lasting pain to us and to others. You will never get back these years. The choices you make in your youth will define so much of your future. So I'm pleading with you, as a husband with a past, and as a father, 
Do not go down the path of destruction to a faraway country that will only leave you desperate and hungry. There may be pleasure for a moment, but in the morning, after the night before, that time will come and you will wake up in your self-made pity, self-made pigsty, hungry and far away from home, and you will wonder how you ever got there. It's okay to want, but we must learn to trust and must learn to wait. Friends, if you are struggling to wait, and if you are on the verge of walking down a dangerous path, reach out and invite others in. Do it today before it's too late. We've all been there. Let us wait together. What is it that you want but you are struggling to wait for? Would you commit to pray and ask your Father to help you to wait well? Be careful not to fix your gaze on that thing that you are wanting, be it wealth, success, marriage, children, whatever it may be. For we fix our gaze on that thing, we will get disoriented and we will be lost. Instead, fix your gaze on your eternal inheritance that is kept in store for you in Christ Jesus. Well, this boy did not wait well. And he is suffering for it. Let's see what happens to the lost young man as our story continues. Act 2, a repentant reunion. <clears throat> Something amazing was about to happen. We don't know how long the boy worked amongst those pigs. But verse 17 says, a moment came when he came to himself. He came to himself and saw who he had become and what he had done. You see, for years now he was living a lie. His sin and his heart had so deceived him that he could not even see the damage he was doing. And sin had turned him literally into a madman. For sin is always madness. It was madness to leave a father who loved him so much. It was madness to leave the security of a home. It was madness to squander his inheritance on reckless living. And yet at the height of his rebellion, he could not see it. He could not see the damage he was doing, the hurt he was causing, the pain he was inflicting. But now in, his, in this pigsty, amongst these pigs, his eyes were opened and he came to himself. Praise God, the story didn't end there. He could have come to himself and seeing what he had done, he could have ran farther away from his father. Or even worse, he could have been so overcome with despair that he could have simply just rolled over and died. But no, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. As his blindness gives way to sight, he sees something again. Something he has always known. He sees the kindness and the compassion of his father. He reflects on how his father always treats his servants so well. They always had enough bread. In his heart, he knows his father would not want him to perish. He sees now in vivid 3D, the love of the Father, and he sees clearly the sins that he has committed against his good Father. And 
it breaks him. It crushes him. He is gripped with sorrow. He makes no defense for what he has done. He knows he has done wrong. He knows he has sinned against his father and against God. It says in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be even called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he manages to muster up the energy and he arises. And he turns. He turns his back on that pigsty. He turns his back on that faraway country that only brought him pain and misery. He turns. He does not wait until he can find clothes to wear. He doesn't wait until he can have a bath and clean himself up. He doesn't even wait until he can make enough money to buy sandals for his feet. With rags for clothes and bare calloused feet, he walks and he goes home. Every step, rehearsing the words that he is going to say to his father. Friends, are you this morning sitting in your own pigsty? Are you just eating pigs? You have chosen maybe some time ago to take a path to a faraway country. It started with a little decision, a poor choice, maybe saying yes to the invitation to stay over at a friend's place when you knew the temptation would be too great. Maybe it was to click on that site you knew you had no good reason to look at. Maybe it was to accept a friend request from someone you knew would only place your marriage in jeopardy. You may find yourself this morning in a self-made pigsty and you think the country you are in is far too far away. But the truth is there is no place too far removed from God's grace. Oh, friends, would you come to your senses today? You see all around you people who are filled with the Spirit and you are starving. You try to cover up your rags. You don't want anyone to notice the emptiness. Friends, I pray that today will be the day that you come to yourself. Shine a light on where you really are. Open the doors. Let others in. See the rags and the calluses and let them help you to arise and come back to the Father in repentance. Repentance is not easy. It's not natural. We'd all rather hide in the shadows than come into the light. But out of the grief of repentance will always flow lasting joy. What can we learn from this story about true repentance? I think there are three things. First, we need to fully own the weight of our sin. The son knows he has sinned against his father and God. So much so that he is no longer worthy to be called his father's son. This is weighty. He's not making light of his sin. He is not shift blaming. He is owning. Second, 
We need to boldly claim the promises of grace. The son pleads to the father to make him one of his servants, but he sees the kindness of the father. We repent because we know and understand who our God is. He is holy. And he is gracious. We know the gospel to be true, and so we lean on that and that alone for our forgiveness. And third, when appropriate, involve others in your repentance. First and foremost, we repent vertically to our Father. But James 5.16 makes clear that we should also confess our sins horizontally to each other. Not so that others can hold our sins over us. James says so that they can pray for us and that we can be healed. Repentance is best done in the context of a local church where we are covenanting with each other, walking daily in repentance together with each other. For repentance is more than simply remorse, it is change. And God has graciously given us each other to help us change. Holding each other up. Spurring each other on. Encouraging each other to arise when we fall. Well, the story continues. The camera pans back to the family home. And where do we find the father? The father who has been treated so badly by his son. Rejected. Shamed. Shunned. His property plundered. Where is he? Verse 20 says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran. The father the whole time was waiting and looking for his son to come home. His love for his wayward son never once diminished. His compassion towards his son never once failed him. Every morning that he woke up to a new day and his son was still gone, his mercies towards his wayward son were renewed. He did not want care one bit about his property that had been plundered. He simply longed for their relationship to be restored. <clears throat> and as he stood waiting, longing, looking, so on the horizon, a weak, feeble figure coming towards the house. As any father would know the image of his son, he knew who this figure was. He says, could it be? Could it be? Is it really him? He sees his son and moves with deep compassion. He picks up his robes and with all the energy of a man much younger than him, he runs. He runs, his boy has come home. He was lost, but now he is found. He was dead, but now he's alive. Nothing is going to stop him from embracing his son. He flings his arms around his boy's emaciated body, carrying the scars of his choices. But it does not matter to the father. This is 
his boy. No matter what he has done, no matter where he has been, he's still his son. And he is finally home where he belongs. And as they hold each other, tears washing the dirt from the boy's skin, his father kisses him. Probably a little taken aback from the response of his father, the boy tries to to utter the rehearsed words of repentance. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But before the boy could even finish his speech, the father calls his servants to take off the boy's rags and in their place put on him a robe and not just any robe, the best robe. He says, put a ring on his finger. A ring that says to the world that this is my son. Come, quickly put sandals on his feet. For only slaves go around barefoot. But this is not a slave. This is my child. He must wear sandals. The boy repented. He came home. And their relationship has now been completely restored. Friends, hold on to this picture of repentance and live it out. For the reality is that all of us who believe the gospel have this sure and sudden hope that the sins that we repent of each day and each week are already forgiven. Before we even utter a single word of repentance, Christ has paid for them all at the cross. We may still have to bear the consequences of our sin. We may still have to carry the scars of our choices. But because of the shed blood of Christ, our status in the eyes of our Father is that of a son. And nothing will ever change that. When Christ enters our life, we have been forever changed. Our identity has been secured for eternity. And so this enables us to live a life of repentance and to know that we can and we must always come home. Repentance is like saying to a father who has already ran to us, embraced us. Repentance is like saying sorry to a father who's already ran to us, embraced us, and kissed us. True repentance always begins with grief and always ends with joy. And that takes us to the final act. Act three, a joyful celebration. The final act begins and so does the party. As much as any party. It's a great party. It's a great celebration. The father wastes no time and no effort to make sure that this moment will be marked as a moment of joy and celebration. Verse 20, 25 makes it clear that there was music and dancing and there was food, amazing food. It says in verse 23, bring the fattened calf, kill it, we're in steak tonight and let us eat and celebrate. The father could not think of a more fitting occasion than this to kill the fattened calf. 
And he invites all those in Ashot to come and celebrate, dance, sing, eat. For this boy, this son of mine who was lost has been found. He was dead. But he's alive. But notice not everyone was celebrating. His oldest son. As he came back to the house and his music. He's a little confused. Why so much commotion? What's the reason? What reason do we have to celebrate? Probably there has not been much music in their house since his brother abandoned them. He inquires of one of the servants, what's going on? Why all the music and dancing? The servant responds in verse 27, your brother, he's come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now this brother did not think this was a reason to celebrate at all. In fact, the music and the dancing made him sick to his stomach. He became angry and irate. How could this brother of his, who has caused so much grief, swan in here and be given a celebration like this? Does he not know what he has put us through? Devouring our father's property with prostitutes? His anger is also tinged with envy and jealousy. Anger, envy, jealousy. Three powerful and destructive emotions. Emotions that paralyzed him, causing him to remain outside to stew in his self-pity. Even after his father entices him, begs him to come in, he refuses. Instead, he just looks at himself. He sees all the ways that he has served the father. And he mourns the fact that he has never even had so much as a fattened goat let alone a calf. And even though he is physically right there with his father, he might as well have been in a faraway country. For his heart was far from the heart of his father. But his father refuses to cancel the celebration. He repeats the words from earlier in verse 32. He says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Friends, Jesus came to save sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. The beating heart of God our Father is to save sinners. He is the shepherd who rescues the lost sheep. He is the woman who finds the lost coin. He is the father who with compassion embraces the lost son. That's what this whole chapter is about. The word joy or rejoice or celebrate is used eight times in this chapter. And we, those who have been saved... We have so much to celebrate. But there is another son in this story. It is the son telling the story. Jesus, 
the very Son of God, who willingly took on human flesh and came to our faraway country, not to be enticed by all that this world has to offer, although he was tempted in every way. No, he came to rescue us and bring us home. He left his father's home and came into our filth and our mess. He took off his robe and he exchanged them for rags. He experienced the rejection of the father so that we would experience the father's embrace. He willingly took off his sandals of sonship and had his feet nailed to a cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. For we all like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus has made a way for us to come home. And for those of us who have repented, who have believed, who have come home to the Father, this is our reality. Our rags have been exchanged for riches. Our mourning has been exchanged for joy. Our Father embraces us, clothes us, kisses us, and He rejoices. It says in verse 6, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. The path of repentance may begin with grief, but it always ends with joy. Friends, don't get stuck in your grief. Camp out in the joy of your salvation. Too many of us are stuck in the sorrows, in the grief. It's not who we are. Grief may be the road that leads you home, but as Christians, joy is our permanent address. So are you living a life marked by joy? Friends, your Father is celebrating your repentance. It says so here. The angels are celebrating your repentance. So don't get stuck in your grief. Yes, it's right to have godly sorrow over our sins. Yes, it's right to be broken over our failures. But we should never stay in that place. Grief is not our home. One way I feel like we can cultivate a life marked by joy is to celebrate together. The gospel frees us to be open with each other. For there's no sin that can be exposed that has not already been covered by the cross. So we are free. We are free to share. And we are free to celebrate.
to celebrate with each other how God has received, has rescued us from our own faraway countries. To celebrate with each other the work of grace that He has done in our life. To love each other is to celebrate with each other. So today, over lunch, share your stories. Share your stories of God's grace in your life. And celebrate. The story resonates so much with me. I cannot preach it without, in conclusion, sharing you a little of my story. And I pray I invite you to celebrate. Not celebrate me, if I'm not worthy of any celebration. But celebrate with me. Celebrate who we all are in Christ. The lost being found and the dead coming to life. I was lost. So lost. <clears throat> Growing up, I always felt lost. Growing up with a violent father, wanting nothing more than to feel his warm and compassionate embrace, but receiving only ever harsh words and violent blows. Seeing my mother caring and fear, memories etched in my mind to this day. I've had seven parents in my life, moving around from place to place, broken marriages, broken homes, broken families. At the age of seven, at the age of 11, I was a mess. Removed from the school system, hospitalized, becoming an elective mute, refusing to talk. Removed from the school system, hospitalized, becoming but by God's grace. My mom became a Christian. It was evident to me the change in her life. You know what I noticed first? I noticed joy. I'd never seen my mom sing before. She'd had no reason to. But even though God gave me a chance to respond to the gospel and repentance and faith, I ran away. As a teenager and a young adult, even though I claimed to know God, in fact, I ran away from God to my own faraway country. All I wanted was to be loved and accepted and embraced by a father, and I sinfully exchanged the true love of a true father with the destructive and cheap love of other men. I was too scared to pursue other men myself, so I became whatever they wanted me to be. Fueling my path of destruction with alcohol, putting myself in dangerous and reckless situations, while a college student being sexually assaulted by a much older man. And instead of this being my wake-up call, it became for me the beginning of a journey into darkness and blindness and madness of self-centered, self-obsessed, self-destructive behaviors that hurt and wounded others, my family included, 
the weight of which I still carry to this very day, squandering my youth, endangering my life, hurting others, until the age of 23, God brought into my life my own severe famine. And that was the darkest year of my life, but it was the year in which I began to come to myself and see my true spiritual hunger and true spiritual need and slowly began to see for the first time the extent of my sin and the extent of how far I had run and the extent of God's relentless pursuing grace. It took me a long time to come home. But all along the path, Jesus was there. He would not let me make peace with my sin. Even though I wanted to. He would not let me walk down any other path even though Satan tempted me to. And he led me down the only path that led all the way home to wholeness, freedom, and the eternal embrace of my true Father. And I'm only here today because of His grace. Do not deserve to be here. Do not deserve to be married to Brandy, an amazing wife and my best friend. Do not deserve to be the father of two little boys, two sons. But this is what our God does. The lost are found and the dead come alive. This is the gospel. And this is why we celebrate a shameful separation, a repentant reunion, a joyful celebration. Why does this story of the lost son resonate with so much of us, so many of us? Because this is our story. Because even though the details are different, it's still our story. And what a beautiful story it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us so well. Lord, we thank you for the gospel that enables us to come home and receive your embrace. Lord, would you help us to live lives marked by joy? Lord, would you renew in us the joy of our salvation? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.